0: Well, folks, uh, good morning. I, I wonder, could you put another light switch on for me, Stephen? So, uh, the, the, yeah, so the, there's four, not the end one, but the next one in should bring in that one there. There you go. Look at those. Let there be light. It'll warm up and I'll be able to see your faces, which is wonderful. Well, folks, if you're a guest here this morning, you're particularly welcome. You, you join us. Um, Partway through a series on discipleship. We've been looking at this for the last few weeks. We're going to continue to look at this for the next few weeks because it's what Jesus told us to do, didn't he? He said, go make disciples. And we're making disciples. And I've said this before. We're all a disciple, every single one of us. Whether we know Jesus or not, we're all a disciple because we all follow something or someone. And whatever that something and someone is, will actually determine our behavior, will determine the way that we choose to live our lives. And we who follow Jesus and know and, uh, and have relationship with him make him the person who we are to become like. He, we are his disciples, we are his people. And increasingly, as we are disciples, we are told, we are uh, to become more like him, to do the things that Jesus did. To uh, teach and to say the things that he said and to go about and just be more and more like him. And as we do that, we will transform the culture and society around us. That's a brief introduction and uh, a reminder as to where we're at. To some of you who are guests this morning, um, uh, you're so welcome, of course. But also to say there's going to be some of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning that uh, I don't want you to get the wrong impression of who I am or who we are as a church. That got your intention, didn't it? After <laughs> you are still droopy thinking, happy days, that extra hour was great, but I could have done with another extra hour or two. So there you go, that's brought us on board. That will kind of make sense as we go on. But really just to start off with is to say that it's harvest time, isn't it? And um, I uh, want to highlight this to you. On our no expenses, Glynis, bless you, broom. It says Glynis on there because that's hers and you don't, you don't share brooms, you have your own broom. So um, Carrick Fogues Food Bank, we are a part of this. Uh, ourselves, Carrick Fogues Vineyard and Jordan Victory Church, we partner together and we collect food items and essentials for living. Uh, together and they get distributed to people within our community and the surrounding communities for those that need that. It is an incredibly uh, wonderful ministry which is touching the hearts and lives of many, many people, which is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I dropped round on Friday uh, a bootload of groceries which I had gathered from Eden Primary School, which is the primary school which our uh, children go to, and they had done a collection as part of Harvest. And I was, uh, it was fantastic to go. And the P7s helped me load up the car. And I took it around to Jordan Victory Church. It gets weighed in. And everything gets itemized. And then when a family comes or an individual comes, they come and they get what they need. It's absolutely fantastic. It's Harvest time. Harvest is um, a time when we get to celebrate The harvest of everything that's grown, and it's a tradition that's rolled out amongst a number of different countries. Um, Ours just happens to be um, slightly later than everyone else's. Any you ever wondered why? Something to do with the climate and what have you, but but there you go, it just tends to be kind of later on. But the tradition goes way back when, and actually, like a lot of traditions and lots of things that we, the church, have inherited, it actually stems back from kind of pagan times. bit of history for some of you history bots. Don't nod off front row. Harvest Festival used to be celebrated at the beginning of harvest, usually on the 1st of August, and was called Lammas, which means loaf mass. Uh, It was known as the Festival of St. Michael Mass, another name for St. Michael the Archangel. And... um, And like I said, it started off as a pagan harvest festival but was converted to a Catholic saint harvest as a way of integrating the pagan festivals into the life of the church, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, But farmers would have made loaves of bread from the new wheat crop and gave them to their local church and they were used as communion bread during a special mass, uh, thanking God for harvest. Now, it all changed when Henry VIII changed things and he changed quite a number of things, right? Um, but one of the things was he changed it from being, instead of at the beginning of harvest time, it was at the end of harvest time. And that time is determined based on your climate and where you are. It's a good tradition, right? We don't, we, you know, we, there's lots of things that we, we don't sort of do which aren't very traditional. But harvest is, is, is a fantastic, fantastic thing. To, and it, what it does is it reminds us of where it comes from. It reminds us from whom it comes from. And we get to receive this harvest and then we get an opportunity to actually give back. With what we have received, we then have the opportunity to be generous as well. We're going to go way back into the scriptures to a time of another type of harvest. And from what I've read, I don't see there any... A correlation between this harvest and the harvest that we have but it's pretty similar to be fair and we're going to turn to a passage in Deuteronomy 16 and uh, hopefully the words will come up on the screen, 16, 13 and 17 and you're thinking Deuteronomy I didn't even know that was in the Bible some of you are beginning to think he's been doing that Bible course now he's teaching us that stuff from Deuteronomy, where are we going with this here we go, it's called the Feast of Tabernacles Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns for seven days. Celebrate the festival of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest. And in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Three times a year all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Some of you already are thinking, "Ah, I know where he's going this morning. And you'd be absolutely right, we're going there. So it's harvest time. It's a seven day celebration. It's a feast. It's party time. It's woohoo, look at all this produce we've got. And they get together and they have a great time. They eat and they drink. They give thanks to God for all that He has supplied them with. And each day they get to give a gift. Each day, it's a gift they offer to the Lord, and it's a sacrifice, and it usually got burnt up. Kind of almost you think, that's crazy, that's just wasting it. But it's in a way, it's saying, God, this comes from your hands, and we're just returning it to you with great thanksgiving and with a humble heart. And they did it in proportion to the way that the Lord had blessed them. So how much they got, it was a proportion to how much they got. And when we talk about giving in this church, when we talk about generosity here, we often use this phrase, it's not equal offering, but it's equal sacrifice. What that means is, you know, we don't all give the same amount of money when we talk about giving. When we talk about generosity, it's not, oh yeah, that's the amount. It's not like being a member of a golf club. When, if you're a member of Carrick Focus Golf Club, I'm guessing... I'm guessing, right, so I don't know this. It's probably about 500-ish plus pounds, something like that. And everyone pays that amount. That's not the same. That's not what we're talking about. It is based and in proportion to income in terms of what God has given us. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles was also to remember his provision and protection during the 40 years in the wilderness. God gives him this festival, along with other festivals, to remember what he had done. And uh, we're going to uh, quickly turn now to Leviticus. You're thinking he's really lost the plot this morning. Uh, and it kind of just further explains what they were to do at this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows and other leafy trees, And rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so that your descendants will know that I made the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, where are we with this? On this particular festival, this pilgrimage, every male, every Jewish male was expected to come to Jerusalem. And they were to go there each year on this given day at this set time. And because there was such an influx of people, where were they all going to stay? That was one of the issues, and God took care of this. But it wasn't just that. He asked them to make these things called sukkahs. Uh, I could be pronouncing that completely wrong. But they were to use these branches from those luxuriant leafy trees, and they were like little shelters. It was like going camping. They took these palm trees and what have you, and they were otherwise known as booths or tabernacles. And they would go there for this festival for the seven, eight days it was, Including the Sabbath day, and they made these hut-like structures called booths, tabernacles. Sukkahs was the proper kind of term for it. And it was not only to um, kind of sort out the accommodation issue; it was to remind them that in the forty years leading up to all this, that they lived in temporary shelters. The forty years that they'd spent from leaving Egypt to returning to the promised land. In all those years, they went camping. And they did a lot of camping. And they need to build shelters. If you've watched those kind of programs, the Bear pro you know, living rough and all the rest, they live rough for a long time. And God says to his people at this festival, at this tabernacle, you're to build these shelters to remind yourself and previous generations that what I have done. At my hand, what I have done. You are to build these things and you're to live in those. And they would eat in those places and they would sleep in these little shelters. And the only way they could get out of it was in case of rain, which I thought was a bit wimpish. But there you go. What's the point? Kind of already said it. God's saying, remember me. Remember what I have done for you. Remember I gave this to you. And in the remembering, he's inviting them, now honour me. Honour me with your devotion to make this trip to Jerusalem every year. To take part in this wonderful festival. Honour me by remembering where it all came from. Honour me by sacrificing and giving a portion of your harvest to me at this time. It was God's way of inviting people into relationship with him. And folks, let's just take a sideline. It's all about relationship with him. Everything that I'm about to say is all about relationship with him. It's all about becoming more like him. It's what this next bit is gonna be about in a minute or two. Old Testament and biblical times had this intrinsic link between the earth and the resources, the ground, the water, the seeds and the produce and life. We don't really have that these days. We just go to Tesco's, right? And what I love actually about the, the allotment that we have, uh, which Johnny and Paula Hansen have done brilliantly stewarding for us, um, is almost like getting back to our roots, isn't it? It's like, oh, look at the earth and the wiggly worms and all the rest and what goes on there and, and sowing seeds and look, my goodness, you put water on it and the sun shines and look what grows up. It kind of gets back to this whole nature that the people of Israel were so accustomed to, which we have grown so far away from. And actually in our modern day existence, We have to fight for finding ways that we can connect to God through this stuff and through what he gives to us and what we give to him. Now, I know that what I've spoken about so far is Old Testament stuff. And I know that when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law for those of us who know our Bibles well and, and what have you. I'm not deliberately taking a context or a passage from the Old Testament and imposing it now in the New Covenant and now in our lifestyle. But there are brilliant principles, kingdom principles, that we do learn from this passage, which apply to ourselves today. Let's look at the New Testament. Let's talk about harvest in the New Testament. What's the immediate verse that springs to mind when we talk about harvest in the New Testament? What is it? Which one? Oh, come on, don't be afraid. Pardon me? The harvest is plentiful. Well done. That is the, I think, the most obvious. There's lots of passages, by the way. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send us out. Now, I appreciate that that passage there is talking about when Jesus sent out the 72 We've talked about that already a few weeks ago, that God is equipping you and me and he's sending us out to go, to go, to go and to make a massive difference because there is a massive harvest out there. People, I genuinely think this, I said this to someone I think during the week or if not it was recently, I think that people are more open to the things of the spirit and the things of the God more today than ever before. People of this wonderful nation are sick of religion. They want to get way past all that stuff. They want to see religion for what it is and tramp on it because what we're really wanting is relationship. What we're really wanting is purpose. What we're really wanting is love. What we're really wanting is hope and transformation. That is what we're looking for. That's what we're longing for. That's why you got out of your bed slightly later this morning to come here before because you know that there's something here. There's something going on. That's what it's about. And the harvest is plentiful. And he is sending us as workers into the fields to go, to go. And I love it. I love that so many of you, in the years that we've been going, in the short time we've been going, that you're taking that so seriously. I remember three or four weeks ago, the five stories, those of you who are here Brian ended it. we have been here the longest for five years. And there were four and three, two and one. And the personal stories of what God has done. Not only in their lives. But the way in which they were challenging. To be sent out. I just love it. That life transformation. And I think that as a church. For those of us who are part of this church. And have been with us for a while. You get that. And you understand that. However. There is a partnership that God is inviting us into. One where we get to use the resources that God has given us to not only say thank you at harvest time. Say thank you God that you have given me a job. Thank you God that the business that I'm running is fruitful and is going well. Thank you that although things are tight, we're just about still getting our tax credits right now but that's looking interesting. (laughs) those are effects for the future but right now we're choosing what we've got to say thank you Lord Jesus but he's inviting us into an even greater harvest and it involves sowing and it involves reaping and we're going to turn, this is the last passage 2 Corinthians 9 which I hope comes up, there we go just the beginning of it first Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We agree that God has given us and blessed us. And we agree that God is so generous to us. And uh, the reality is this, if we want to see a harvest, we need to sow generously. If we want a storehouse to contain the grain, we need a building. And this is not a building appeal, right? Hear me right here. This is not a building appeal. I'm not saying this for that, uh, for that reason. I love it that people have captured this vision that someday, someday maybe, God will have us a place. But for now we're good in our sukkah. Right? We're okay. I love that. But at the end of the day, unless we sow into that vision, and not just that vision, we may as well just keep dreaming. Really truthfully, I'm being quite strong now, we may as well just keep dreaming. We talk about a venue, we talk about... But unless we're going to sow into that generously, you know, and I appreciate also on the building... (laughs) Not that this is a building thing. It's hard to kind of give to something that we don't really have a look at. I understand that as well. But it's not just that. Last week, the guys, Stephen Lane, did a tremendous job, I thought, casting vision for compassion. I ended it with this. It's going to cost us. If we're going to really impact, if we really want to do things within our community, it's going to cost us. It's not just our time. Not just being sent as the 72 were sent, but it's going to cost us our finances as well. Discipleship, laying down our lives, means being generous with the resources that God has given us. I've shared this before, share it again. I practiced the, the... I don't know what you'd call it. I practiced a thing called tithing way back when I was a student. Uh, Tithing is an Old Testament practice of giving. Um, It's a good place. It's a good thing to inherit, but I'm not totally advocating for the practice of tithing, and I'll maybe explain that much better in a different time. But it's a good starting point. And when I was at university, I uh, went to Nottingham, and my mum and dad, bless them, would send me with a cheque at the beginning of each term for £800. Pounds. £800 pounds lasted me, or was meant to, uh, for ten weeks. It provided my, um, my rent, my bills, uh, my food, um, my drinking beer, and, uh, and my books, because buying books is really important when you're in university. Praise Jesus, I was, a, I was a jumping student, and uh, we didn't read many books. <laughs> um, we read some. And, uh, and so that was that. So my, I'd get £800, pounds and at the very beginning, I would, I would cash it, just stick it straight into the bank, and I'd write a cheque for £80, pounds, which would be 10%, and I sent it to my home church, which actually slightly interesting seeing as I was attending another church when I was away at university but that's a whole different story but right from that that point, right the way through the years to now, it's a a practice and a principle that I've done and I'd encourage everyone to do that I'd encourage the front row to do that, to do that now because when you get to earning 100,000 pounds a year as most of our parents do you know Giving away ten grands, nothing um, you know so so that was that was my approach then, and the approach hasn 't changed. We uh very, very sporadically look at our budget, and I have this excel document i can 't remember the last time it was probably at least a couple of years ago i 've looked at it and it 's usually when money's really, really tight <coughs> that I get to look at it and um, this is what I do I, I, this is this is what this is the income, including tax credits and all that good stuff. And the first thing that I work out is 10%. And that's it. It's gone. And then the mortgage. And then the bills. And then I'm like, flip. We're we going to live on the rest. That's how we do it. Instead of the other way of, this is what I'll do, And that's what I'll give. And so that's the approach um, that we uh, have done. 1 Corinthians 16 says this. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, again, that's a specific text about a specific collection that Paul was receiving on behalf of uh, the folks back in Jerusalem. is going to be a giving and offering then. But again, I think it's okay to take from it on the first day of every week. It doesn't have to be every week. It could be every month. But we set aside a portion of money in keeping with income that then gets given. It gets given as an offering to the Lord like it was years and years ago in the Feast of Tabernacles. Coming into land. I'm asking those of you who are a part of our church, you consider this to be your church. So again, those are your guests. You can listen, um, but this doesn't apply. If you're a part of this church and thinking through the wider conversation of being a disciple of Jesus... I'm asking you to consider your financial giving to God. Not to the church, not to us, but to God. This is not a we need your money talk. This is not a, man, we are broke talk. This is a, we want to be followers of Jesus. We want to take this seriously, take our finances and take our offering seriously. For some of you, this is going to mean thinking about starting to give for the first time. It's starting to give in a regular manner. Maybe you've been using the box and throwing in some money there, which has been wonderful. But maybe this is a time for you to take seriously about giving, starting giving. For others, it's going to be a case of looking Uh, what you currently give, what you currently are committed to giving, and going before the Lord, not under compulsion from man, but going before the Lord and saying, "Is is this in keeping with my income? Is this what you require of me? In two weeks' time, two Sundays' time, the 8th of November, we're going to do something really deliberate, and I'm going to explain why in a minute. As as part of our service, we're going to have uh, sheets of paper. We're going to have pens. We're going to have a basket. And we're going to invite you to, on that moment, is to write down what you intend to do financially from thereafter. And again, it's going to be for some of you, we're inviting you to give for the first time. For some of you, we're asking you to look at what you currently give and to either say, that's, that's okay, that's, uh, I feel that's okay. And for some of you, it's a case of, actually, I know I need to give more. Again, not under compulsion from me. I can see it in your faces already, and that's okay for some of you, and that's okay. Um, help me out if I miss things. I'm needing to be really, super clear and super kind of cautious in in how this kind of comes across. If financially things are incredibly difficult, then again, there's grace for that. If you are journey in life and, and relationship with God, and this is like way off your radar, that's absolutely fine. But again, if you're part of this church and your journey in life with us and you think, yes, this is something that needs to, needs to change, then this is an opportunity to change. The, reason, the main reason with being so deliberate about this is because I know that many of you, when we do this kind of talk from time to time, that you go away challenged and thinking, oh man, yeah, I should do something about that, but you don't do anything about it. And so this is an opportunity to do something about it. And uh, we're just trying to help with that. Go before the Father and ask him, see what he says. Good, that's still there. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor; their righteousness endures for ever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Um, Final words. Go before the Lord on this. And just ask him, um, if you would like to talk about anything that I've said, please talk to me, talk to Chantel, talk to Steve who looks and looks after our money. By the way, the only people that see any of this information is me and Steve. Uh, Chantel and no one else in our church knows what individuals give. Um, so please come talk to us um, about that, and please see this as um, as an opportunity to grow and to be generous, and not not man's way of trying to get some cash out of you. I can't I can't say it as plainly as that, but I know. That many of you know that this is an issue. And I'm simply sticking my neck right out on the line on this one and encouraging you to do this. The other thing I will say is this that what we give financially usually is intrinsically linked with our relationship with God. And I've been so, we have been so, so encouraged by the way. In which many of you have taken huge, huge leaps of faith. Huge transformation of what God has done in you. And in that in mind, this is just maybe something else. that I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that God is doing this. He's tugging away. And please, if there's anything of me anything, any of my words or any of my motivation that is in this, that, uh, that please, that that wouldn't be a part of this conversation at all. I hope you understand and I hope you see that whilst this is an absolutely right that I talk on this and that we lead in this and that uh, I need to be accountable before the Lord to teach on this, it's actually really quite difficult to do. It's really quite an awkward one to chat about. Have I missed anything? Or have I not said something? I asked Chantelle beforehand to clarify, which she normally does, by the way, Um, because I just didn't want to get it wrong or say it. You know what I mean. I've said enough the guys who are leading us. Would you come and lead us? And that would be great. That's got church quiet this morning. Why don't we stand together? We're going to worship and then we're done.